What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Joining me into the studio today is Jonathan Hall. Hey, bud. How's welcome back. Thanks. Congratulations. Thank you. Jonathan welcomed a new member to the family last week, right? That's yeah. right. Congratulations on the new baby. Can't believe Thank I forgot about that. Only for like a minute, though. <laughs> <laughs> and as you may have guessed, also joining us in the studio is Jillian Rowe. Hi, Jillian. Hello. Hello. I'm still excited to have you back on the show after your oh, thank you. worldwide tour. So today, um, I need your help in talking about a specific topic. I want to know how to get my way. So that's the topic of today's conversation. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, Like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. Cookies. Cookies. Donuts. I was about to say cookies. bribery, straight yeah, up bribery, bribery has quite often worked for me. Great. Yeah. Well, join us next time on Adventures in DevOps. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, this uh, <laughs> this actually came up as part of a conversation I was having with someone. I'll, I'll set the background of it. They are a new member on the team and they, while they have experience in their profession, you know, they may not have a ton of credibility with the team being the new member, they're not in a management or authoritative role, but they're working on this project where they're, they have a high level of confidence that they're going about the wrong way to solve this problem. And this particular individual is struggling to influence the members of the team to change their approach. So I thought that would be a good topic for today. And how do you, how do you get people to change their mind? And, um, you know, what ways are effective and what tools can you use specifically for those areas where you may not have decision making authority? And even if you do have decision making authority, you know, I think it always works out better if you portray your ideas so that everyone or a majority of the people get on board rather than just saying, I'm the boss, we're doing it my way. I don't know. That's how I've always done it. I've <laughs> You like paychecks? Who likes paychecks? Who wants more paychecks? (laughs) There's an Oprah meme there somewhere. You get a paycheck. You get a paycheck. So after I've made that joke, let me just clarify that actually I don't operate that way at all, even when I am the boss. Uh, So I, I don't think this I don't think this question has to be limited to people who don't have authority. I think even if you do have authority, it's good to find more organic and natural ways to get buy in rather than saying, do you want a paycheck? Okay, then do it my way. Yeah, agree. For the health of the team, for the for the morale of the team, for the quality of work, you know, just every aspect. Unless you absolutely have to start pulling rank, that's kind of should be a last resort, I think. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit like concerned about sort of. I suppose there could be a lot of different kind of context to this question, but if you're like very new on a project, I think it's very easy to kind of see all the mistakes without understanding the context, right? Like we all make trade offs throughout projects. 
over and over and over again, over time, those trade-offs can, uh, they add up after a bit, let's just say. So I think it's, I don't really think you want to be that person who comes in and is like, let me tell you all about how much you suck. And everybody's like, listen, we know, we know we've been here. Okay. Like we get it. <laughs> because I've definitely, I've been on both sides of that fence actually, which was kind of an important life lesson. So if you are that person, don't do that. If you are the, um, if you're like the person in charge. Yeah. I'm with Jonathan. I don't do that real draconian kind of way of doing things. My sort of uh, way of doling things out is like if you're doing the work you you get the final say within reason like i don't want people making up new operating systems or something but like <laughs> if you want to use i don't know what like sidekit image instead of pillow or like you know these things that are kind of like they're there are trade-offs but they're basically equal or like you're picking i don't know what the, the hot new web frameworks are like you're picking one or, over the other like for the most part i'll go along with any of that possible exceptions being if something is really, really not maintained, and I don't want it to be my problem to maintain it. But I'm wondering, is there any more context to that? Like, do you know how long was this person on the project? Were they like, what What was happening? Yeah, yeah. Before I jump into that, I want to highlight something you said there, because I think it's really important to get the context, you know, being the new person in there. I think it's really important to have the conversations of how they got to this decision, because I can tell you from firsthand experience, I've been in this situation and thought this is just not the right way to do it and pushed for my solution. And almost always, like the more confident I am in my solution, the more wrong I actually am because I was missing the background information of what things they're considering or what things I don't know about that led them to the decision they're making. And yeah, so to answer your other question, though, they've been on this project for about a month now, and the project itself has been going on for a couple of months. So they're they're getting into it and it's it's over the a chosen technology, like we're going with this technology and trying to trying to think of how much I can say without selling this person out or or causing anyone any grief. But basically, they are going with a hosted Kafka solution. And if you're not familiar with Kafka, it's a, a streaming platform where just data just streams through and you pick off the pieces you need. And it works really well for dealing with data at high volume. But in their case, they're not dealing with high volume. And given that Kafka is a streaming platform, it's also not a good fit because they can't handle streaming data. They have to take a take a message from the solution, whether it's Kafka or something else, stop what they're doing, go address that, and then come back to it. So they can't actually even stream the way that Kafka likes to be used anyway. So it's that's the 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 background scenario there is they've kind of committed to this platform and it, it just doesn't look like it's the right one. So my my first advice, if if I, somebody came to me with a question like this, my first advice would be it's kind of a it's almost a cliche, but it's it's really true, and that is to seek first to understand. And yeah, I, I think you, you you you've alluded to that, but I want to make it black and white for the listeners that before you start passing judgment on what you see is wrong, and and what you see may well be wrong. I mean, I I've come into new projects, and frequently what they're doing is is outdated or doesn't make sense, or it's kludge from six different people that did, had different ideas. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways that things could be done wrong, but seek to understand. And, and I, I think the key to that it, it is realize that the thing that you're looking at that makes you go, what the hell, made sense to someone in some context. 
right? Figure out what that context is and you'll and you'll be a huge part of the way towards solving it. I mean, now you you may come to realize, you may come to decide that oh, this thing actually isn't wrong. More likely though, you will come to realize, yes, this is wrong, but there's these other constraints I hadn't considered I have to take into account when proposing my alternative. I think that was very well put, very succinct. I agree. Good answer. I would do the applause sound, sound clip here, but I can't find it in the list. Oh no. So what, for what all our listeners, play yeah, anything just, else. Just for our listeners, permit. What was that? <laughs> Did that actually work? That was supposed to be preview. There we go. All right. So, okay. So first, I think we're all in agreement there. First is understand the problem, get the background, get the context of it. And that's going to lead you to either confirm or destroy your initial suspicion. So let's say that you still believe that this is the wrong approach and you want to influence them to change. What are your thoughts on how to go, how to take the next step? Build demos. That's been how I've sold like literally everything. It is it is my superpower right up there with being underestimated is that I can, I can build fast <laughs> demos. But like show people, I'm like, this this is the thing that I want. And it does better than any meetings or PowerPoints or presentations or emails or like whatever else I've tried. The best thing has just been, I'm just going to throw together a really quick demo. And it's, you know, it's held together with like, duct tape and wishful thinking, but it always gets the point across. And then that's just always been the way that I've had a lot of success with showing people like, okay, this is, these are kind of my ideas. This is what I think should happen. And because it is a demo and I don't put like a ton of time into it, if it ends up going completely sideways, which by the way, they have, there have been times when I've been like, I think I have a really good handle on this, this problem. This is what I think could solve it. And then the scientists just come and tear me to shreds because I was so, so, so wrong. But it was a demo, so I don't care. And it will also deepen your understanding as well, because like whenever I go and I, you know, I, I demonstrate this sort of application or workflow management or whatever it is that I happen to be doing to people, like they'll ask questions and they'll say, okay, but we do this and could it work, you know, in this fashion? And it always leads to a much more, I think, organic conversation where you get more context than emails, PowerPoints, Slack memes, I don't know, anything, code reviews. Poor guys at Twitter. Do you have them uh, fax the code reviews over, print them out and fax them? No, but that is too funny because I thought I was the queen of petty, but I think this person, whoever set that up, they win. Like I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hand over my crown to them because that is fantastic. I love that. For context for the listeners, I saw someone tweet out uh, yesterday that Elon is supposedly doing the code reviews. And so to make it easier for Elon, someone set up a web service where you can submit your code to be reviewed and it will fax it over to Twitter HQ for him to review. And uh, I just want to say bravo. That was <laughs> regardless of, of your, your stance on Elon's new role in Twitter. I think the just like the dedication to go through with the, that plan, I I sincerely applaud that. <laughs> I think that's great through the level of comedy right there. Yeah, for sure. So, Jonathan, what about you? How do you how do you sell this once you are convinced that you're on the yeah. right path? So, I, I actually would would do a couple things before a demo. In most cases, I, I want to know who I need to convince and what they care about. Yeah, there's a lot of different types of convincing that might have to be done. Sometimes it's, sometimes you're showing someone a demo, look at this shiny new thing is all you need. I'm like, oh, yay, that's, that's awesome. I'd love to, to do that. It's it's shiny or it's fast or whatever whatever thing that they, they like about it. Other times you could show the best demo in the world and someone's like, some that grumpy old bearded guy in the background who looks kind of like me is going to say, yeah, but what about, and they're going to start throwing objections at you. 
So, you know, I think it's really important to know who, who you need to convince and what they care about. Do you have to convince upper management? Do you have to convince the CEO? Do you have to convince just your peers, other individual contributors like yourself? Do you have to convince product management, people in different departments, different teams? What, who do you have to convince? And then, so understand that. Who makes the decision? Is it a, is it a single person or a group? And then what do they care about? Are there, are, which, of course, comes right out of what I said earlier about understanding why things are how they are. Once you have that context, you'll already have part of the, the answer to what do they care about because you'll understand the, the use cases they built this thing for, presumably. And then you'll be uh, maybe related, but, but a little more in depth there. The personalities of the people you need to convince can be really valuable information too. Some people are convinced by facts. Some people are convinced by emotional appeal. <laughs> Some people will not be convinced no matter what just because they don't like you or whatever, or they think you're too junior or whatever reason they have up their butt, maybe that's, there's no convincing them. And yeah, so that's a, that's a good sort of inventory to take. Uh, who do you need to convince and what do they care about? And further recognize that not everybody who's involved necessarily needs to be convinced. Maybe you don't need to convince the grumpy old guy in the, in the, in the server room if you can convince the friendly product person down the hallway or whatever, you know? So right. take a strategic sort of, inventory of of the people you have to convince or people involved and determine who you need to convince. And that will really help you decide. And, and then from that point, then you can build that demo if that's appropriate. And you'll build a better demo because you'll be building it to, to showcase the things that your audience care about. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question, and then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Yeah, I think that's really um, that really ties into something that I think doesn't get as much focus as what it possibly should. And that's just the social skills of engineering because you're interacting with people. And when you're interacting with people, different people have, you know, they have different personalities and different things that they care about and different ways that they effectively communicate, whether that's visually, audibly, or tactile. Tactile. There we go. 
Thanks. I was drawing a blank on what else humans can do. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Some understanding. Humans, not your, all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, don't want to exclude anyone, but yeah, like you got to understand how this person likes to communicate. And one of the, I read a book, I think it's been a year or two ago, uh, never split the difference by Chris Voss. Yeah. And he does a great job of breaking this down. It was really a fascinating book to read given the topic because he, talks about these different things that we're talking about here. But then he was a former, I think, CIA hostage negotiator. I think FBI. FBI, yeah. yeah. I read the book too, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so he um, he follows up every lesson with an actual FBI story. So it's kind of like part action action book, part educational book, and it was really effective. And um, my wife read it as well. She read the Kindle version. Then she got the physical copy of the book. Then she got the audio copy of the book. And I honestly haven't won an argument with her in two years because of that. So my wife hasn't read the book and I haven't won an argument either. So <laughs> I, I used to do I used to do OK. I could hold my own. But since then, that's I don't even bother anymore. All right. You shouldn't, Will. You shouldn't. <laughs> so, that, so I suppose the next step, if you need to convince someone, is to hire Will's wife. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. She could be your hostage negotiator. <laughs> we need to get rid of Kafka. What's your wife's name? Give her a call. See if she can make the case against Kafka. Yeah, she she could. You know, that's going to be like your... You should probably make sure you've exhausted other possibilities before you call her in because she's she's persistent. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Thank God she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> or if she does, I'll uh, let you know. <laughs> if she does, I guess, Jillian, it'll just be you and me from now on. <laughs> <laughs> right. What happened to that other guy right. that used to be on the podcast? <laughs> what happened to that guy? I wonder if any of the spouses do listen to the show or if they're just like, oh, thank goodness they have somebody else to talk to about their nerd stuff and I don't have to hear about it for a whole hour. My wife reads my daily emails. Not oh, all of that's them. That's cute. But I don't think she's ever listened. She's only listened to like my own podcast when I was first doing it. I said, listen to this and tell me what you think, you know, in that mode. But otherwise, she's never listened to anything that I've done. I know my wife, she, whenever I first started my YouTube channel, hashtag shameless self plug, DevOps for developers. She started, she watched the videos whenever I first started that channel and offered some feedback. And I know occasionally she stalks me on Twitter because she'll come into the office and just say, she'll look at me and say, really? You really <laughs> posted that? <laughs> That's about where it goes for me too. My wife will, when, when she's bored, she'll, she'll hop on LinkedIn. And I know because I get three likes on LinkedIn and then a, a lecture over dinner. <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> it's a recognizable pattern for you. That's good though. <laughs> So getting back to topic, if that's okay. I also, I had a, I had a thought when you were setting up the premise, uh, Will, about you're a junior, you've just joined a team and you don't have the authority yet to make decisions. Um, I, I wanted to touch on that. This, this isn't, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but that kind of concerns me a little bit, actually. Now I know that that's going to be true in a lot of places. And if that's a place where you work and you need to put food on the table, I understand, you know, do what you got to do. So standard caveat, you know, don't go, don't go bankrupt or, or, let your kids starve by taking my advice, but find a place that values you. 
<laughs> if they're going to hire you, hopefully they they trust you. You know, that's why they hired you. Maybe during probation or something, you know, there's you don't have the same freedom, but you should work on a team where people value your opinion, if, if at all possible. Yeah, I agree. And I think we all have a, a responsibility to make the team that way as well. You know, sometimes you enter a team and it doesn't operate that way, but that doesn't mean you can't influence it and steer it that way, assuming that everything else in that position lines up for you. Right. And actually that that's a topic in I'll foreshadow my pick. There's a, a book that I'm reading that will be my pick today. And they talk specifically about that in the book that everyone on the team is a leader. And part of your responsibility is to follow orders when being led and lead when there are no orders to follow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a dynamic that everyone on the team has to take part of. Yeah. yeah, I like that kind of dynamic. I mean, again, I'm a really big fan of the, like, if it's somebody's responsibility on the team, you're responsible for this portion of the code base, you get to make, you know, most of the decisions within reason. I mean, sometimes you have to interact with other people and then compromises and that sort of thing need to be made. But I don't know, just treat people with sort of a degree of trust and respect. And if you're not, maybe you should be thinking about why not, or if that's not sort of the the culture of the team. Because I have, I mean, I have also definitely been on teams where people are afraid is too strong of a word, but like, there's not like an open dialogue kind of without judgment. Um, I remember we had the the show a while back where we were sort of talking more about team culture and this kind of idea that people can just sort of, you know, raise their opinions or toss ideas back and forth without it immediately being like, you did something wrong, or you made a poor decision, or you wasted our time or like any of these kind of negative things, just, hey, we're all in technology, it changes all the time, we pretty much almost constantly want to be like reevaluating our options and seeing what else is out there. And if, you know, we can improve and, um, you know, rework our solutions and all that. For sure. Yeah. And if you're not the new member on the team, I think it's important to keep that perspective as well, that ideally you brought this new person onto your team because of the the skills and resources that they'll add to you. So you might as well take advantage of them and set up an environment where they can contribute. Yeah. Yeah, I do also want to say, I agree with Jonathan that like, at some point, if it's just, if it's not a good fit and, you know, you're not kind of feeling like you're contributing or growing as a professional or whatever, it probably is time to just move on and get a new job. That was definitely something I wish I had learned like a lot younger because there were, there were some jobs that I stayed in sort of well past maybe I should have. And I do know uh, one of the kind of signs of burnout or one of the precursors to burnout is like you're working on something, but you feel like you're just spinning your wheels and not actually making any actual progress. So like you go in, you know, you go into the office and you sit and you type for eight hours a day, but you're not actually doing it or you don't feel like you're actually doing anything or making any forward progress. And a few years ago, I would have told you like, oh, burnout, that's that's kind of a woo thing. Go have like a really crappy job flipping burgers or something like that, which I have. I have had crappy jobs flipping burgers and being a line cook and all that kind of thing. So I was like, yeah, you know, oh, being a tech person, that's so silly. You don't you don't get burned out or anything like that. But you definitely can. And for the sort of longevity of your career, you should maybe watch out for that and uh, try to get yourself in the best positions that you possibly can. Build leverage, build leverage through your whole career so that you can make the best decisions for you and your family if you have one. You know, when I flip burgers, people said thank you to me about 50 times a day. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I put a burger tips. in the window, ring a bell, and the waitress would come by. Thank you. I don't get that in tech very often. Too. Yeah. Built in snacks. Anyway, built in snacks. That wasn't good yeah, for my waistline. Yeah, you're in the kitchen. Don't all talk at once now. 
think I kind of ran out of things to say on this topic, unless we we sort of have a spin I've on got it. I've got one more thing to say uh, about how to convince people, I guess, if we want to go back to that now. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Uh, one piece of advice I, I like to, to give is, so this is after you've done everything I already talked about. You've already done your demo, but you still have skeptics in the crowd. Just make it an experiment, if possible. You know, it depends on what you're trying to convince them of. But say, what if we tried this for a week or for a month? If we don't like it, we'll re- you know, re- 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 blah, blah, blah. we will reevaluate after that point and decide if we want to go forward. You know, this isn't permanent. We're just, it's an experimental thing. We're, we're experimenting with a Kafka alternative or we're experimenting with this new way of doing Zoom meetings or whatever the thing it is you're trying to convince them of, right? Or we're, we're going to experiment with this new framework. We'll build one one feature in this new framework and see what we think. Let's try this experiment, reevaluate. Uh, my advice, if you do this, is to set a deadline or a, it doesn't have to be calendar-based, but a clear endpoint of the end of the experiment, a point where you're going to reevaluate. So it's not just like an ongoing experiment. We're going to try Temple OS now instead of Linux as an experiment forever and only if somebody screams loud enough will we go back to Linux. You know, it's not like that. You know, make it clear to find. You define. We'll try this project, or we'll do it for a week, or whatever. Try it for the, for the duration, whatever you agree with with your your team, your colleagues, and then evaluate. Honestly, evaluate, and then make a decision. And the decision could go one of three ways. Typically, abort the experiment, commit to it. You know, it's no longer an experiment now; it's official. Or prolong the experiment. You know, maybe the conclusion isn't isn't obvious yet. Let's try it again for another iteration and, and see what we think. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. It should be a lot of things that we do should be sandboxed for a specific deliverable. And then I, I also advocate a lot fail fast, which I know a lot of us have heard Zuckerberg's quote of move fast and break things, which I actually disagree with because move fast and break things doesn't imply any feedback mechanism. I mean, I can I can log into our AWS account and just start terminating servers right now and I'm moving fast and I'm breaking things, but really is that doing anything valuable? That's why I prefer the term fail fast because when you say fail fast, it implies that you're going to define the failure criteria. You know, what does it mean to fail and how do we get there as soon as possible? So yeah, I agree with you. Sandbox it and then fail fast. Define what failure looks like and success looks like. And your your job is to hit one of those two points as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I should also clarify a little bit. The ideal experiment isn't just let's do this for two weeks and then and then see. But you just like Will said, you define your success criteria. You know, we believe that doing this thing will have this outcome. And then either it does or it doesn't or in rare cases, it's unclear, uh, but it shouldn't, you know, a good experiment isn't just throwing spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks. It's like, I believe the spaghetti will stay on the wall when I throw it. Oh, it didn't stay on the wall. Okay, what can I do differently? Uh, you don't, you don't, don't. A, a lot of, a lot of experimentation I see, especially on agile teams, scrum teams aren't really experiments. It's just throwing caution to the wind and uh, let's see what happens. And if we like something about it, then maybe we'll stick with it. And that's not really. A that's good what experiment. a lot of research is. That's what a whole lot of research is, especially medical <laughs> research. Like, what was it? I think penicillin was found by accident. Just some guy screwing around in the lab. I think it, I want to say it was penicillin. I know it was one of the antibiotics, oh. like one of the first made ones that was found. A lot of things in science have been just discovered by accident. But a lot of things are uh, valid experiments, too. And once it was discovered, I'm sure there were some valid experiments uh, done to uh, prove its efficacy and its safety and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't course, just, oh, look, I found penicillin. Here, you have some and you have some and you have some. Let's see what it does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not convinced. I think it was like that for a couple of years at least. <laughs> that awkward silence may be justified. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's see if the FDA likes that approach these days. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, boy, given my past options of working in medical and with the FDA, I should probably refrain from any further comment. <laughs> you learn some wild things, like when you work in medical research, you're just like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't know about any of this anymore. Like I was okay, like I'm not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, right? Like I'm vaccinated, my kids are vaccinated. I was a little bit worried about the COVID vaccine. I don't know if we're allowed to even say that on the show, but I really was, and my whole thing was like. I want millions of data points. Like my mom was like, would you feel better if I got it? And I was like, no, mom, I want, I want millions of data points. Not one. <laughs> many. I want many. And it was, I don't know. I guess it was all fine. I got my millions of data points thanks to Israel. But you know, that's what we have. So are you convinced now, Will, that you know how to convince people? I am convinced. And you know, then we, then we always have the old trusty and reliable physical violence. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Right. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Before you go there, Will, start with threats of physical violence. No, your cousin Bruno. You, know, you don't have to. Bring, you don't have to bring out, bring out the club just yet. Will just runs into the office with like you know like the foam the foam like noodles that the kids use at the pool. Like ah, right. This escalated very quickly. Yeah. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The The full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. Well, are we done? Because I have a pick that's actually on topic. So I think it's a great segue if we want to. Oh, there. So on to picks, Jonathan, what's your relevant pick for this topic? Yeah. So I'm going to pick a book that I read a few years ago, but it's a great book. And honestly, it, it, if you're struggling with this, this is the book, in my opinion, to go to. It's called Driving Technical Change. It's by Terrence Ryan. And it, I mean, a, a lot of the advice I gave you, I borrowed from the book, but it goes into much more detail. 
it really talks about know your audience and it goes into like personality types and it, and it sort of categorizes some, you know, the, the technical guru guy and the, the grumpy old admin guy who, you know, is all about compliance with this and you know, whatever and how you can address each of their types of concerns. And uh, so it's, it's, I mean, it's really about the soft skills of driving technical change and it doesn't require that you're a boss at all. It's about how to convince people that your ideas have merit. So I highly recommend the book, Driving Technical Change by Terrence Ryan. Is the final chapter chapter on resorting to physical violence? Uh, I think that's uh, after the final chapter. You have, you have to order that as separately. It's a oh, okay. separate okay, volume. Cool. Yeah. So it is a complete guide then. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jillian, what have you got for picks? I don't know. Can you go next? I can't. <laughs> so my pick is along the same topic. I just started recently reading Leadership Strategy and Tactics by Jocko Willink. And it's it addresses a lot of the things we've talked about in this podcast and how to, you know, how to implement change, how to be an instrument of change, how to work as part of a team, and how to lead as a non-leader in the team. And then he backs it up with some lessons that he's learned as well. And we were talking just before the recording started here. Jonathan looked it up. The audiobook is actually narrated by Jocko himself. So as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go grab the audiobook because his voice, he's got such a great voice. It's just so authoritative. And um, so I'm actually looking forward to that. So uh, Leadership Strategy and Tactics by Jocko Willink. Do I need to stall some more for you, Jillian? No, I'm good. I'll pick, okay. I'll pick graphics audio. They are like a book dramatization company they label themselves as a radio in your mind and they used to be pretty pricey because like you know, i already have that <laughs> but this this has like different voice actors it's not just the voice of that too. Head yeah. there's there's a whole cast <laughs> so many voices so many voices Sorry, yeah. well you could they could play nice with these other voices then <laughs> yeah just forgot where they specifically oh. indicated that they don't like to play nice with other voices <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever read the Brandon Sanderson short story about the guy that um, that's like his whole deal? He's like brilliant and he makes up all these characters in his head and then they just like go like way off the rails and, and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Maybe that I don't remember the title. I'll make that my pick next week. Okay. But yeah, I just I really like them. And they've started selling their books on Audible, which makes them a lot cheaper because it used to be like five or six parts for, you know, a Brandon Sanderson book. So I've been uh Listening to all the Stormlight Archive books, but the graphic audio dramatizations of them, and they're really good. And besides that, my favorite is Warbreaker in, in graphic audio. So those are the pick. Graphic audio, specifically anything by Brandon Sanderson with graphic audio. And they are all on Audible or on their website, too. They have like a website if you want to buy direct. Right on. Cool. I just read that Spotify is going to be doing audiobooks as well now. They already have a lot of the like audio drama things, which I really like. And um, some of them are, you know, premium, like only on Spotify or, or maybe it's Apple Podcasts that they're starting to have them premium where like you have to actually pay to have access and things. Yeah, there's a lot of those out. Yeah, it'd be nice to have an alternative because just like Jonathan, I end up having to go buy audiobooks because I have credits that are about to expire. Mm-hmm. How can you have credits about to expire? I have the opposite problem. If you have an annual plan, then that your your credits last a, a year or eighteen months or something like that. That so I have eight that we're going to expire this week. So I, last week I stocked up. I have now. I already had two two books in my library I hadn't listened to, and so now I have ten. I think your kids start to get into audiobooks, and then your credits would be gone, be all gone. I used to have that problem when I had a daily commute because I was listening to audiobooks right. 
two or three hours a day. Yep, same. And now that my commute is just down the hall. My yeah, I get about two sentences in and I'm there. And I was like, <laughs> not even worth Cool. Well, I think we have ourselves a podcast. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. Hope you found it helpful. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.